And now, I Can Hear It Now, presenting Edward R. Murrow. From New York City, the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force present a program of historical significance featuring the distinguished radio commentator Edward R. Murrow. This transcribed feature is another in the series of The Voice of the Army. This is the news to all Americans who depend on their radios. For the up-to-the-minute news reporting that has helped make broadcasting a part of our daily lives, Edward R. Murrow's This is the News is well known indeed. For he is one of the leading figures in radio and news reporting and has been called by his reporting colleagues the Newscaster's Newscaster. Ed, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to Voice of the Army. Thank you, Joe Ripley. It's a pleasure to be here with you. As most of our audience knows, I Can Hear It Now is more than the title of this program. It is the name of your new Columbia Masterworks album, which has created a stir all over the country. Ed, what gave you the idea for I Can Hear It Now? Well, Joe, I'm a reporter, and I Can Hear It Now represents a sound history of what I consider to be the most fateful and exciting 13 years in civilization. From 1933, when Franklin D. Roosevelt took the presidential oath of office in Washington, to 1945, when General Douglas MacArthur took the Japanese surrender in Tokyo Bay, much happened. Each year brought news stories and personalities that seemed to overshadow those that preceded them. It was an era for the ear. Radio grew from the crystal set to the AM-FM consoles of today. Future events will perhaps be televised and recorded visually, but these eventful years were years of sound. These are the sounds of days that are past. We record a new dimension of history, a scrapbook of sounds from 13 years of violence and achievement, part of the greatest mass adventure man has yet undertaken. A voice can cut through the hazy fog of time and bring yesterday's images sharply into focus. Do you recognize this voice? Mm. Hold the distinction of being the only nation in the history of the world that ever went to the poorhouse in an automobile. That was the voice of Will Rogers, trying to teach America how to laugh its way through a depression. 1933 was dark all over the world. Japan was already in Manchuria, and the League of Nations was dying in Geneva. In Germany, the Reichstag fire was history. So was the Weimar Republic. In Italy, Benito Mussolini had translated a people's search for security into savage conquest. In rich, fertile America, fear and uncertainty lay heavy upon the land. Our greatest primary task is to put people to work. Franklin D. Roosevelt stood beside Chief Justice Hughes on the steps of the Capitol on that raw afternoon of March 4th, and a nation with 15 million unemployed listened. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so began the era. We worked our way back out of the dark days of 29. We went through the New Deal, the NRA, Huey Long, the abdication of Edward VIII, and the land and landslide of 1936. The air age was upon us. The dirigible Hindenburg was crossing the Atlantic in less than 48 hours. Pan American was flying San Francisco to Manila and Hong Kong on a timetable. But the remarkable air achievement was not without its price. Flyers like Ed Music, Wiley Post, and Amelia Earhart Putnam paid the price for progress. We take you now to Lakehurst, New Jersey. It was drizzling that April night at Lakehurst, 
as announcer Herb Morrison stood beside a WLS sound truck to describe the arrival of the dirigible Hindenburg. A ship is riding majestically toward us like some great feather. These giant flagships standing here, the American Airlines flagships, waiting to rise into all points in the United States when they get the ship moored. It's practically standing still now. They've dropped rope out of the nose of the ship. The rain had uh, slacked up a little bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... The first the get it started, get it started. It's right, and it's right, it's right, terrible. Oh, my, get out of the way, please. It's running, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between the ship is terrible. This is the worst of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's running, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. It's spoken in flames now, and the flame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. In 1938, the rantings of Adolf Hitler became louder and more menacing. But some people breathed easier when Neville Chamberlain announced after Munich that we would have peace in our time. Czechoslovakia was divided, and the Nazis marked up another victory. Hitler let it be known that Poland was next on the Nazi list. Remembering Munich just a year before, the world waited and hoped. Great Britain went to war against Germany today. Twenty-five years and thirty days from the time she entered the war of 1914 against the same enemy. France is expected to follow suit within the next few hours. The state of war came into existence... On September 3rd, 1939, a Labor Day America heard the calm, Midwestern accents of Elmer Davis tell them that the 20-year armistice was ended. From 39 to 41, we waited, too. Waited through a third-term election, Lend-Lease, the first peacetime draft in American history. But we didn't have to wait too long. Where were you on the afternoon of December 7, 1941? If your name is Michelle Piastro, you were at Carnegie Hall tightening the strings of your violin for the Sunday afternoon performance. If you were Gerald Nye, you were addressing 2,200 America Firsters in Pittsburgh. If your name is Saburo Caruso, you are waiting in the outer office of Cordell Hall. If you are a sailor named Tomish at a place called Pearl Harbor, you and 2,116 of your buddies will be dead when the day is done. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. The President of the United States. If your name is Sam Rayburn, you lift your gavel and rap for order as a joint session of senators and representatives, many of them bitter foes of the man on the rostrum, cheer him madly. Because like most Americans, they are angry, frightened, and confused. And he is the President of the United States. Yesterday... December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. 
I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. Well, we did win the inevitable triumph. American troops fought in Europe, the Pacific, India, China, and Africa. And for the first time in history, their commander-in-chief went into action, too. At Cairo, Tehran, Yalta, and Warm Springs, Georgia. He had gone down Pennsylvania Avenue many times before. This was his last trip to the White House. A city watched. A nation listened. Arthur Godfrey, an old Washington hand, described it. The drums are wrapped in black crepe and are muffled, as you can hear. And the pace of the musicians is so slow. And behind them, these are Navy boys. And now just, just coming past the Treasury, I can see the horses drawing the case on. And most generally, folks having as tough a time as I am trying to see it. And behind us, behind us is the car bearing the men on whose shoulders now falls the terrific burdens and responsibilities that were handled so well by the men to whose body we're paying our last respects now. God bless them. President Truman will return you now to the studio. No, he did not see the victory, but he had laid the groundwork for it. Now you are at the world's largest airfield on Tinian in the Marianas. The voice you hear is that of Chaplain William Downey, who stood amongst the target charts, the escape kits, and the stale coffee, and said a prayer for the Enola Gay and civilization. We pray, that the end of the war may come soon, and that once more we may know peace on earth. May the men who fly this night be kept safe in thy care, and may they be returned safely to us. We shall go forward, trusting in thee, knowing that we are in thy care now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The bomb run lasted four minutes. The bomb went away at 9.15. My God was the only entry in the co-pilot's diary. 78,150 people died at Hiroshima. The 13 years were almost over, and the epilogue was written on a United States battleship. Where were you on September 2nd, 1945? If you were Jonathan Wainwright, you were on the crowded, heavy decks of the battleship Missouri in Tokyo Bay, listening to an old comrade call your name. Will General Wainwright and General Percival step forward and accompany me while I sign? If your name was Douglas MacArthur, you have kept the date made 3,000 miles and four years ago. Let us pray that peace be now restored to the world and that God will preserve it always. These proceedings 
closed. A newsman generally looks ahead to tomorrow's news. But in this reporter's opinion, the events leading up to this atomic age should be studied by us and our children. For there are lessons to be gained. Lessons for all of us. Ed, let me thank you on behalf of all of us on Voice of the Army and our audience for bringing us I Can Hear It Now. I know I speak for everyone when I say that it's been one of our finest programs. I know, too, that our audience will look forward to hearing and owning your entire Columbia Masterworks album, I Can Hear It Now. And, too, I wonder if I might borrow from your nightly radio show once again. We open with your familiar greeting, This is the News. I'd like to close with your customary word for the day. Well, Joe, I've noticed that the new Air Force recruiting slogan reads, Only the best can be aviation cadets. I believe that slogan. I was stationed in London and Europe during the last war. I saw at first hand what the U.S. pilot accomplished and what kind of man he was, both on duty and off. I flew about 20 missions as an observer. And I'd say that when you say, only the best can be aviation cadets, you've got something there. America's airmen were and are the best. Goodbye and good luck. Only the best can be aviation cadets. Men, if you're between the ages of 20 and 26 and a half, married or single, with two years of college or the ability to pass an equivalent examination, join the best in the aviation cadets of the United States Air Force. You can win your pilot's wings and learn to fly the latest planes. After you've received your reserve commission, you will have an opportunity to compete for a regular commission. A new class starts every six weeks. So remember, the sooner you apply, the sooner you fly. Visit your local recruiting station now and learn all about the aviation cadets. Also about the many other fine careers open in the U.S. Army or the U.S. Air Force. This program was brought to you by the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force in cooperation with this station. Featured on today's show was Edward R. Murrow, distinguished radio commentator, with recordings from his Columbia album of I Can Hear It Now. This program was written, produced, and directed by Charles Wilkes. This is Joe Ripley speaking. This transcribed feature has been another in the series of The Voice of the Army. Thank you.